And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. Of course, it's Tuesday already since yesterday was a holiday. That means it's a holiday shortened trading week and we also get ready to wrap up the month. Of course, getting ready to move into summer, which is going to be this year. I believe the first day of official summer is June the 21st, if I'm not mistaken. So, but it really depends on whenever you want to call it summer, right? So for a lot of people, my kids just got out of school last week. So technically it's summer. So, you know, I deal with that. So anyway, uh, it's all under full swing, of course. Temperatures heating up as well as the market. And that's going to be one of the things this morning. Futures are pointing pretty nicely higher on the NASDAQ. They're up about one, little over 1% this morning. S&P's up about uh, a little over half a percent. And this is all on the hopes that a debt ceiling deal, right? This is the big, you know, this has been the big conversation uh, over the last month or so. We're going to default on our debt. It's going to be terrible. The world's going to end. And, you know, we've seen this. You know, every time we get to this point on the debt ceiling anyway, it's this uh, headlines of destruction and doom and headlines of, you know, we need to issue a trillion dollar coin nonsense. Well, uh, as I told you over the last, you know, couple of months is that this will get resolved and it'll be something at the last minute and it will not be anything significant. And guess what? We'll talk about it this morning, but there is a debt ceiling deal potentially on the table. It does have to pass Congress and there's certainly a group of the more hardline Republican conservatives that want real spending cuts, which is not in this debt ceiling deal. Um, so they're going to pretty much try to hold the line here, may hold it up, but there's probably enough Democrats and Republicans to get this voted through the House. If it gets through the House, it'll go to Senate. Most likely enough Democrats and Republicans in the Senate, they would just want to get this deal out of the way. They'll pass it and move on because this is a clearly Democratic win. Uh, the Republicans really got very little to nothing in this negotiation. And as I've told you before, conservatives are, are great talkers, terrible negotiators, and this happens repeatedly over and over again. Uh, but th that's a relief to the markets. We get this kind of debt ceiling behind us and markets are, are kind of moving a little higher this morning. We will break out of this recent resistance we have. Now, importantly, uh, we are challenging the lows that we had back from January. This is this point back in January, early February is right where Russia invaded Ukraine. And, you know, it's, it seems like that's been going on, you know, forever. Um, but this was actually in, in uh, January, February of 2022 last year. So we've just been really kind of working this and we're now challenging those lows of the decline in January, uh, February of last year. So again, you know, markets are going to challenge this this morning, potentially break above that. If it can hold this for the day, uh, that actually kind of clears the way for the market to start working its way back towards these peaks of the market in March of 2022. So we're rapidly eating into that bear market decline from last year. If you want to call it that, it was actually a correction. Um, and so as, as with always with corrections and, and corrections of bigger magnitude like you had last year, they're generally fairly quickly resolved, generally between 12 months or so. That looks like with track we're on right now anyway, um, that we're going to try to resolve this. One of the big questions, again, is going to continue to be the Federal Reserve, of course, interest rate hikes, etc. PCE, uh, the latest GDP report came out last week. 
personal consumption expenditures, especially on the core side. We talk about core inflation. We talk about you know, you know the, the, the prices that are more sticky the, that really the Fed looks at very closely. Those remain very high. Those are not coming down much. And that suggests that the Fed may need to hike rates again. In fact, odds of a Fed rate hike are starting to increase here a bit. And so as we start heading into the month of June, which is just a couple of days away, uh, as we start heading towards that next meeting, there's going to be a lot of focus on whether or not the Fed's going to hike rates again at the next meeting, or will they pause here potentially with a rate hike you know, later down the road? We'll see. But there are certainly some signs here that inflation's remaining a lot stickier than what the Fed has won. In fact, core PCE is still trading well above the target trend of what the Fed was looking for in terms of their kind of their forecast for later this year. So, you know, they come out every quarter with those estimates of what they expect inflation to be, what they expect employment to be, GDP, et cetera. They make these predictions over the course of the year. Well, their predictions were suggesting a lot lower level of PCE to, you know, now versus what's really happening. So this may encourage the Fed to go ahead and hike rates again. We'll see the market certainly not been pricing for that, but Again, the market's really much more focused right now on artificial intelligence, you know, what's going on there. This has really been the shift in the markets into this uh, cyclical move that is happening. Of course, uh, technology leading the way here along with communication stocks. And the only reason communications are, are really kind of leading here to, to a great degree is solely because of Meta. Um, and that's really kind of lumped into this whole AI chase. But again, technology, communications, discretionary with Amazon leading the charge here. Those are the cyclical stocks. Everything else pretty much lagging. In fact, there's a fairly big deviation now between uh, the dividend-paying stocks, which are much more defensive in nature, and the non-dividend-paying stocks, which are more cyclical in nature. Again, that deviation getting very large. Also, the NASDAQ getting very, very diverged from Treasuries, which again, normally there's a, a correlation between uh, the NASDAQ and interest rates because of duration. And we talk about duration risk and portfolios, those type of things. But since, that, since technology stocks are what we call long duration assets, in other words, it's all based on earnings growth, those prices, those companies don't pay dividends. They're, they're generally growth oriented companies. So typically, the, the, the duration is impacted by the level of interest rate, so there's a correlation between these two uh, kind, of, kind of asset classes. That's not been the case here in late. In fact, a, a very, very big divergence between those. Doesn't mean it can't last for quite some time. We've seen this before. Again, we're kind of in the middle of one of those, those kind of sharper moves in the markets where we get a lot of kind of the greed and that FOMO chase, much like we saw in 2020, 2021. Got that going on in the markets right now. Lots of focus. On that. So again, a lot of these kind of more bearish outlooks that have been kind of around, floating around the media as of late, those are starting to, to fall away here because the, the shift in attitude of the markets is moving more towards this growth side of the market. Uh, again, this is a big divergence from what, what we had last year. Remember last year, uh, lots of defensive uh, trade energy really outperforming last year. This year, just the exact opposite. Everything that everybody hated last year that's leading this year, that's creating this FOMO now, this rush, systemic uh, positioning in portfolios as an example, really having to come in now. Uh, they were sitting on the sidelines, lots of cash, very defensive, having to put that capital back to work. That's continuing to drive these markets higher. And that's going to continue to be the case here, most likely, 
for a while. Again, this kind of breakout of the market, we've had this, this very nice consolidation now for the last several months. I'm going to break out of that today. If we can hold that, that's going to certainly give us some room up to about 43, 4,400 on the S&P here over the course of the next couple of months. So again, any, any bit of pullback, now that's not going to go straight up, obviously. You're going to get some pullbacks, you're going to get some minor corrections. And when those happen, of course, those are going to be good buying opportunities to put some capital to work here. So again, no need to chase the market here. Let the market come to you. You'll get an opportunity to put some capital to work, but don't be afraid to do so. Uh, so when we come back from the break, we will get into a little bit about this debt ceiling, what was actually talked about, um, what this actually means, and, and the odds of it getting done, getting this put behind us. And once that's behind us, you know what, what, what's left there to, uh, to focus on for the rest of the summer. We'll talk about that and more right here on The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Get by the website. Our latest article is out this morning. It's a technical review of the markets where we are right now. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Wow, Red. Whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, of course, it is uh, Tuesday. Get ready to wrap up the month. It's May 30th, so uh, tomorrow will be the end of the month. See a bit of positioning here also by uh, managers getting ready to go to the end of the month. Statements get ready to go out, of course. Uh, quarter in rebalancing, though, right around the corner as uh, we get to the end of June. So, again, uh, a lot of mutual fund managers, etc., that are behind the curve right now need to increase exposure. Uh, make sure they've got the right stocks on their books when they, they report earnings. So, again, a lot of that momentum chase is going to continue here most likely over the next month. Um, this is going to be one of the things also that now, uh, as I was saying, we're, we've got a, a debt ceiling deal on the table. We've talked about this for the last kind of couple months that despite all the headlines of Janet Yellen coming out saying, oh, we're going to default on our debt, it's going to be terrible, it was never a risk. But, you know, these headlines are used to try and – you know, scare politicians, I guess, um, into action. And typically these things wait until the very last minute and then some deal gets done and everybody's like, ooh, big relief, we got a deal done. Deal was always going to get done, just a question of when. Now, this one isn't a done deal yet. There is a, an agreement in principle that has to pass Congress. There is the Freedom Caucus in Congress that in the House of, of uh, Representatives that are very opposed to this deal because it doesn't really do anything. 
Um, the debt deal that we got done in 2011 uh, basically would have cut spending enough to slow GDP by about seven-tenths of a percent. This deal theoretically will cut enough spending to slow GDP by about 0.2 to 0.1 percent. So it's, it's a very negligible impact to spending. In fact, spending goes up um, on an inflation-adjusted basis next year. So despite the fact that there are some spending cuts, they're, they're very, um, they're window dressing, just to say the least. Uh, you know, one of the big concerns that had happened under the Biden administration was this $80 billion in funding for the IRS. One of the promises that had come out was that there was going to be a, a if Republicans got control of the House, they were going to defund that function of the IRS, that $80 billion. Well, they did get a cut to the spending of a whopping $10 billion. So the IRS still has $70 billion. I'm sure they can manage to get by on $70 billion in additional you know, funding uh, to hire IRS agents, et cetera. But they did get a $10 billion cut. This is what I mean. These are, these are very much paper victories. It's like, oh, yeah, we got to cut the spending. Historic reform. Not so much. Not when you take a look at, you know, where things are going to go to uh, from here. And, and again, this also, this debt, this debt ceiling deal, this agreement, pushes the next debt ceiling debate out until 2025 to get past the election. Because obviously nobody wants to be fighting a debt ceiling deal going into an election, which... Again, that's really a better win for the Democrats than it is for the Republicans, right? If you had a good, strong Republican candidate, I'd be right in the middle of that saying, hey, you know, elect me president and I'm going to fix it. You know, we're going to raise the debt ceiling, but here's what we're going to do to do it, et cetera. And you use that as part of your platform. But again, nobody wants to really deal with that. So uh, some of the deals that came down, uh, of course, in this, and we just got, I'm just going to read to read to you a little bit of the, the thing. The Rules Committee will vote on Tuesday. Uh, now, this is going to happen today, either this afternoon or this evening, on the rule for the debate on the debt limit bill. So, again, so again, you know, all that happened over the weekend was McCarthy and Biden came to an agreement in principle. So, according to the Treasury, we have until June the 1st. That is the X date. Now, don't worry about that. That's going to have extensions to it it'll be oh oh, we found some money over here look there was some money under the mattress that we had forgotten about uh janet yellen's digging in between the cushions right now to find those extra changes <laughs> that are laying around to try to push that x date out a little bit more so don't worry about the x date you're gonna hear a lot of rhetoric over again that's just more political pressure to get a deal done uh so anyway first step of the of the game here is to pass the rule that will provide the the structure for the debate on the debt limit bill. Now, that's a necessary step before the vote on the House floor. The committee has nine Republicans and four Democrats. Uh, two of those Republicans, uh, Re Republicans Roy and Norman, appear to oppose the bill, and uh, which is going to be kind of interesting, with a third position of Representative Massey kind of unclear at the moment. If all three vote against the deal and no Democrat votes in favor, the bill is going to fail before it even gets past the, the rule. The rule vote. So that's going to be the first challenge today. It may not even get past the, this initial committee. Um, if the rules committee does actually, you know, send the bill to the House floor, then it needs a majority vote. Now, the Republicans have the majority, technically, 
But again, there's enough Republicans, and particularly those in the Freedom Caucus, that are likely going to vote against this, this, this debt limit bill that it's going to need some Democratic votes as well. Now, there's probably enough Democrats that will vote with this bill because obviously this was a good, this is really a, a better deal for Biden than it is for McCarthy because it allows spending to increase in 2024. So if Democrats are smart, they're going to say this is actually a good deal. We get to keep spending next year. That's going to help us. If we can spend more money, that's going to keep the economy out of recession. We can keep doing the programs that we want to do, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to help us win potentially in 2024 in the election. So there's probably enough Democrats that will vote for this debt limit bill to get it passed, assuming, again, assuming, that it actually passes out of the House Rules Committee today. And, and that's really So that's going to be the next big challenge today. Again, it probably won't happen until later this afternoon, but this morning, you know, futures are, are, are hopeful that that's exactly what will be the case. Now, assuming the Rules Committee passage uh, on Tuesday, the House is likely going to vote tomorrow on the bill. So this is going to happen pretty quickly. Again, there is technically a June 1st X date on Treasury funding. Theoretically, in theory, the Treasury runs out of excess funds on Thursday. Again, magically, they will find more money, as they always do. <laughs> uh, either that or can start prior prioritizing payments uh, in the short term. So it's not entirely clear, um, you know, how they're going to kind of, you know, how this is actually all going to come down. But that's kind of the, the process here over the next couple of days. Obviously, any buckling here of any sort it could could throw throw the markets in for a bit of turmoil. So, again, there, there's certainly some some price risk over the next couple of days. You may just, you know, as I was saying earlier, the the bullish trajectory of the market is clearly in your favor to add exposure to the markets. And you probably want to do that. Uh, we're, we've got buy signals in place. The market's breaking out to the upside. Plenty of, of bullish catalyst here to keep this market moving higher short term. So you probably want to add, if, you're, if you don't have very much weight in the markets right now, you probably want to, if you've been hiding all in cash, this is time to probably start putting some money back to work here. But you may want to just kind of wait for the next couple. You, you've already missed the rally from the lows to this point. So a couple more days isn't going to matter get through this whole kind of debt ceiling debate. And, and once we get this put to bed, then the, the upside is going to become a lot easier for the markets to get to. Um, there are some other considerations that are coming up that could certainly, you know, throw some wrench into, you know, throw a wrench into the plans. And we'll talk about those after the break. But right now, all eyes are going to be focused on this debt ceiling debate um, today, tomorrow, and, and Thursday, of course. Now, um, just a couple of quick notes, actually, on the, the agreement. The caps to spending apply for only two years. So most of the projected savings are going to depend on policy decisions made after the next election. The description of the deal states that the caps apply for six years, but they are only enforceable via sequestration for 2024 and 2025. And they'll have very little effect after whoever gets elected, you know, in 2024. Second, the deal included other details that lessen the effect of the cuts, particularly in 2024. I'm going to read to you from, from this paragraph. This includes counting the bill's rescissions of unused COVID funding against spending 
for the upcoming year. So in other words, we, we allocated money for COVID that we didn't use. So there's just this cash sitting in this bucket over here on, on one side. And on this other side, we said, hey, we're, we're going to spend this much money. So we're still going to spend that much money. But we're going to take that unused bucket and say, oh, that's actually savings. It's not. It's money that you just didn't spend. You're not reducing spending. The spending's remaining exactly the same. You're just saying you're spending less because you're clawing back those funds that you were going to spend. And so those aren't really savings. But that's this is this is that funky congressional math that we use every time the, the CBO wants to come out with projections on stuff. Um, Pre-funding certain items so that the spending is excluded from the caps and a site agreement that $20 billion in IRS enforcement funding, remember that's that $80 billion we were talking about, um, the twenty so and a side agreement that twenty billion in IRS enforcement funding that would have been spent later in the decade will be redirected toward domestic enforcement funding. I'm uh, sorry, spent towards domestic spending without counting toward the cap. So again, we're still spending more money. We're just not counting the money that we're spending, and we're just redirecting it in other places. Again. This is that new fuzzy math that we use in uh, schools today and why we have schools in Texas where 65% of the class can't graduate. <laughs> it's a new world. Anyway, we'll come back after the break. So that ceiling limit potentially out of the way here today, tomorrow. We'll see what happens. What after that? Do we have anything else to worry about after that? We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com So as I uh, was saying just for the break, you know, the debt ceiling deal is on the table here. Um, again, has to pass the House Rules Committee today. There's a chance it could fail. If it does, deal's off. If it does pass the House Rules Committee today, it goes to vote tomorrow. Uh, potentially it could be voted on tomorrow, passed, done, and this is and then it goes to the Senate for passage at that point as well. Uh, if it does pass the House, that's potentially where the majority of the confrontation is going to be so if it does pass the house if it gets to senate most likely it's going to pass so that'll put that deal behind us finally we can stop talking about the dang debt deal okay i told you all along it was no big deal to start with but at least we can get past the debt limit and i can stop getting emails about the the debt deal so what's next well right after we get the debt deal done we got to start talking about the federal reserve again and this is going to be one of the 
the the big you know kind of topics over the next couple of weeks as we head into the next Fed meeting, which is in June. And the the odds of a Fed rate hike are now starting to pick up here a bit because of the data that's coming in. You know, lots of conversation of last year, recession's going to come, higher interest rates will lead to recession, and that certainly has, has makes complete sense, and yet a recession hasn't come yet. The other side of this was is that inflation would come down, which it is. Inflation at the headline is falling pretty sharply and mostly simply because of mathematics, right? The year-over-year comparisons are coming down. So inflation as a function is going to fall back towards 2%, but it doesn't mean that prices are getting cheaper. Again, you know, the, the way to explain that is you go to the gas station in January on January the 1st. You fill up with gas and it's $4 a gallon. A year later on January the 1st, you fill up again at the gas station, it's $4 a gallon. Inflation is now zero because of the way we measure it, right? Year over year, the price didn't change. So inflation is zero. There is no inflation over the last year, but the price didn't change. It's still $4 a gallon. It's still expensive, right? So this is the thing to remember about how we measure inflation. But when we take a look at a lot of these numbers, the headline numbers are declining because of the mathematical comparisons that we use on a year-over-year basis. But in a lot of cases, prices really aren't coming down that much, if at all. In fact, once we get down beyond the headline and start looking at some of the other prices, excluding certain items, food and energy, which tend to be volatile, can impact inflation, we find out that what we call core prices and particularly super core prices, which exclude housing at that point, aren't really coming down at all. They're remaining very sticky. And, and so the problem with that for the Federal Reserve is, is that, as I was saying in the, in the opening segment, every quarter the Federal Reserve produces these forecasts and they say, okay, over the, next, over the rest of this year, next year, year after, we expect GDP to do this, we expect PCE to do this, and we expect inflation, PCE, uh, to do this. And we expect uh, employment to do this. So you can kind of map that out and say, okay, well, they expect inflation to fall to 2% over the course of this year and next year. Well, core PCE is sitting well outside above that trajectory. It's remaining a lot stickier than the Fed wanted. So... June 14th is right around the corner, and that's the next meeting for the Fed. And one of the decisions they're going to have to make is whether or not they hike rates again. Now, when we take a look at Fed fund futures, which is the market predictions of what the Fed's going to do, that's actually rising. So the market is expecting potentially... A rising probability. Now, it's not in the 80% range right now. It's, it's still fairly low, but it is rising. So markets are starting to kind of price in here the potential for the Fed to hike rates to five and a quarter percent. 
So even though the markets have been rallying on this kind of hope that the Fed was done hiking rates, it may be not the case. And of course, the Fed has been coming out with some language as of late that has been, well, earlier, and there's been a little bit more dovish, right? It's like, okay, well, you know, we're, you know we're, we've hiked rates a lot. We're closer to the neutral rate than not, you know, th those type of statements. And now all of a sudden, we may start seeing more hawkish language from the Fed talking about, well, you know, inflation is not coming down. We need to remain, you know, we need to keep tightening monetary policy. Again, they, they kind of alluded to the fact in the last meeting that because bank lending standards were tightening up, that that would do the job for them so they could stop hiking rates because bank lending standards would continue to tighten monetary restrictions in the economy, and that would slow economic growth as well. But they may not be able to wait long enough for that to occur, given what's going on with some of these employment numbers. Again, the employment continues to remain strong. Prices remain stubbornly high. Spending... Uh, just came in with the latest GDP revision, just came in stronger than expected as well. So the consumer clearly not slowing down. And, and remember, the reason that we hike interest rates is to do what? Slow consumer spending, right? You're supposed to stop spending when prices go up. You're supposed to start saving more money. But consumers aren't doing that. They're actually spending more going into credit to do it, but they're still spending more. So this is really starting to, to, to compound the problem for the Federal Reserve. So, again, the markets are trying to price in the potential now for a potential rate hike on June the 14th that wasn't priced in before. So this is going to be the next kind of concern. Inflation, uh, you know, is, uh, again, is that that's the big problem for the Fed. They need to get that down. Consumer confidence has a couple of components for it. And when you take a look at the University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Report, they have the actual headline index number, which is, you know, pretty, pretty dismal. But they also have an inflation's expectation component, which is rising sharply. So even consumers are expecting inflation to rise here over the next 12 months. Now, another big impact we've got this week, of course, is Friday. So we've got a lot of stuff going. It's a short week, right? So today's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So today we've got the, you know, the House Rules Committee on the, on the debt limit. Uh, Wednesday, we've got the vote on the debt limit. Friday, we have employment report. That will be the employment report for May coming out in, the, in the, the first week of June. And right now, the expectation is that will be, a, again, above 200,000. That's also going to be another potential data point. If, you know, over the last 13 months, the employment report has come in dramatically stronger than expectations. Now, that is the longest stretch in history, and not by a little bit, of consistent beats of the employment report by the data. So, again, expectations are fairly muted 
given what we've seen in the past, right? These you know these reports coming in at 300, 320, whatever. Economists keep coming in. It's like, oh, I think it'll be two hundred thousand, and then we come in at three twenty, right? So, it's it's been really outsized reports that we've seen over the last thirteen months. So again, fourteen months coming up. But if it's a really strong jobs report on Friday, which most likely the Fed already has this data, that's going to be another push. Again, tight labor markets keep wages elevated. That keeps inflation high. So if we don't start seeing some weakness in the employment market soon, that's going to continue to push the Federal Reserve to hike rates here to do what? Again, why does the Fed keep doing this? Well, they need to slow the economy down. They need to get unemployment up so you'll stop spending money so inflation can come down. The markets aren't buying it. That's why the markets are continuing to rally. Treasuries aren't really buying it. That's why interest rates kind of remain stuck at three, three and a half percent, you know, where we are now. So again, the markets are on kind of one side of the fence. The Fed's kind of on another. And it's just been this tug of war now for the last several months. And again, this has been the 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 conundrum for investors because again. One side of the argument continues to be fairly bearish is that, look, the Fed's hiking rates to slow the economy. We're going to have a recession. That's going to slow earnings growth. The market's saying, yeah, no, nah, it's not going to happen. Who's right? I have no idea. Right now, markets are going up. That's, that's all we know for sure. We'll come back, touch on today's blog post that is out on the website now. It's a technical review of the markets. We'll touch on that. I'll go through a couple of charts with you when we come back from the break. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com meta new more virus meta meta new meta virus the new human virus in the u.s it's on the headlines this morning yes. the little known virus HMPV gives you a runny nose, headache, sniffles, cough. It's called a summer cold. <laughs> Seasonal rhinitis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take some cold medicine. Be on your way. Uh, okay, a couple of things here. So just for the break, talking a little bit about, you know, the next hurdles. We've got employment report, got the Fed coming up. Um, again, market continues to... You know, defy the bears, which is normally the case, by the way. Um, bears have very small moments in time where things go in their direction. Most of the time, it's the markets are bullish. That's just the way markets work. Um, again, as we've kind of talked about things, you know, 
when we take a look at the market and smooth it out, right? So, you know, the problem is, is that in the short term, we all wrapped up in the day to day movements of the markets, et cetera. And so that makes it difficult to really kind of focus on what the markets are doing. We get wrapped up in all the headlines and we try to make assumptions about this is going to happen and that's going to happen and this is what's happened historically and it, it really gets, you know, very, very confusing. And so we can smooth that out by looking at weekly moving averages and weekly markets, right? So once we start getting out of the day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of view of the markets and we kind of look at the forest rather than the trees, so to speak, we get a little bit different picture. And again, when we take a look at a, a longer-term chart of the markets on a weekly basis – the markets have clearly broken above, you know, uh, moving averages that are very important. Again, when the market corrected last year, and again, it was a correction, not a bear market, because the market never broke the long-term bullish trend. So we never had a, a negative trend in prices, which is a bear market. We simply had a correction back to the bullish trend because the markets had gotten very elevated above that trend during the 2020 rush. You know, we had all that money coming in. Everybody was chasing asset prices. We had this big explosion in the markets. And so we gave a little bit of that back last year. <clears throat> so we're still holding that. And, and not only have we bounced off of that 200-week moving average, we're now above the 40-week moving average, which is, is bullish, right? So, again, the, the bullish trend of the market is intact. So there's no reason right now that suggests anything other than we're still in a secular bull market that started back in 2009. So again, a little bit of a conundrum there. We do have valuation issues, certainly. We certainly do have asset prices in some cases that are extremely expensive. So again, it's not you know, a perfect environment by any stretch of the imagination, but it never is. You just have to invest with the market that you have. Um, when we take a look at, you know, earnings, earnings troughed in quarter four. They improved in quarter one. Estimates are now being ratcheted up through the end of this year and into next year. And in fact, by the end of next year, um, uh, markets, uh, earnings will be well above where they were in the, and well, well above where they were at the peak of the market in January of 2022. So markets right now, and analysts are expecting a pretty robust recovery in earnings over the course of the next year. Now, if that's the case, asset prices will rise because historically, asset prices track earnings estimates. So as long as earnings estimates are increasing, asset prices will rise. When those estimates decline, they will fall. Now, estimates are pretty far ahead of themselves. We'll all probably see those tailored back here a bit as reality kind of sets in. But again, the trend of earnings is higher which suggests higher asset prices doesn't mean straight up, you know, right? Prices will go up and down, but they'll trend higher over time. This is why it's important to take a look at weekly and monthly charts more so than daily charts because it gives you a better idea of what the trend of the market is. Um, again, just, but these are the things we have to consider. And, and right now we do have some divergences in the markets. In fact, right now we have the largest deviation since 1999 between the S&P 500 market cap weighted index and the S&P 500 equal weighted index. 
we haven't seen that kind of divergence since 1999. And this is because of this chase right now into mega cap stocks. And again, I've got an article coming out next week talking about the breadth of the markets. There was a, you know, a lot of people are saying it's like, well, breadth is fine, right? We have a big, we have, you know, breadth is strong. It's not really, we have the 10 largest stocks that are really driving the markets because that's where most of the gains are being made. And because of their weighting in the index, it's dragging that index higher. And, and that split between the equal weight and the, and the market cap weighted index is the tail of that story. Doesn't mean it can't last for a while, though. So just because we have this deviation, the biggest since 1999, and there's certainly some reminiscence between today and 1999. I mean, you talk about the AI chase. Everything is AI. Story out this morning um, with NVIDIA talking about AI. More companies have just are starting to throw AI into their earnings announcements, right? Just to, to get that boost. Very similar to what we saw in 1999 with the dot-com chase. That chase went on a lot longer than people expected. So... Just because it smells like 1999 and it kind of looks a little bit like 1999 doesn't mean this can't go on a lot longer than you expect. So you're just going to have to participate with it for the time being and then figure it out from there. Sentiment is still extremely bearish overall between professional and retail investors. That provides a lot of fuel to the markets again, because once this market continues to grow, as the market continues to rally, more and more of that bearishness is going to finally come out of the markets. So and people are going, to, well, I just give up, right? I got, I got to be in the markets now because markets are going up. So the more that those attitudes change and the more that those people go from bearish to bullish remember all these people hiding out in five percent treasury bills and money market accounts that's going to come out and they're finally going to give up and go man you know it's great i've got five percent you know cash but the market's giving me ten percent i'm going to go back into the markets that that change in bearishness to bullishness is going to provide fuel to the markets ultimately so you've got to be aware of that and kind of how the market's positioned itself. And the same thing goes with the, the record level of short positions in the S&P 500. So again, those shorts are going to have to start covering as well. The more the market rallies, the more those shorts have to cover. The more the market rallies, the more those shorts have to cover. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And again, when we take a look at just the market itself, going back to the, you know the peak of the market in January 2022, We've completed a 50% retracement of that decline. Now, historically, once you complete a 50% retracement, and we've had a classic breakout as of today, because you had a, a breakout, a retest, and then now another breakout, that sets the market up to go ahead and travel to a 61.8% Fibonacci retracement, which typically, if you do that, once you have that 50% retracement from the lows, you typically get a move higher over the next 12 months. And during that process, you fill that decline. In other words, whatever decline you had gets reversed. So in the next 12 months, theoretically, this market should be trading at or near all-time highs. 
So again, this is the conundrum that investors have right now. And again, you know, this is, as I said, look, it's not easy at the moment, right? Because we have this very deviated markets. And if you take a look at the absolute versus relative rotation, so on SimpleVisor.com, which is our research platform, we provide this analysis that shows the absolute versus relative analysis. And what you see here is it's really three sectors of the markets that are driving just the way it is, right? It's, but it's three sectors driving the markets. And that can last a lot longer than you think, right? We're all, you know, it's like you look at this and you go, well, that can't last. And you're right, it won't. There will eventually be a rotation, but this can last a lot longer than you expect. And we see this more clearly when we kind of take a look at the sector breakdown. You can see how overbought technology communications and discretionary are relative to the more defensive sectors of energy, utilities, and real estate. That will eventually rotate. But it can stay this way for quite a while. So again, what you what you have to be careful of is being too defensive for too long because what will eventually happen is that you'll eventually capitulate along with everybody else and say, I just got to be in, I got to go buy it. And that's generally kind of where you start getting towards, you know, kind of the top of the market. So, again, these are just, you know, again, this article goes through, it's on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. It's just our technical review of the market today and kind of where we are. But, you know, the, the problem for investors right now is going to be this bearishness that still kind of prevails in the market versus the bullish action of the market, which is slowly starting to convert that bearish attitude is much more towards bullishness. And that provides the fuel for the markets to continue to rally. Now, that won't last forever, right? But again, it can last longer than you expect. So again, this is why there's a risk in the markets right now we have to manage. We have to manage that risk. And again, markets are getting a little bit overbought here short term, not, not dramatically. They can certainly go up some more from here. But you're going to have to pick your spots here. Use, use, use pullbacks to buy into the markets. Increase your weighting to equities until that changes. All right, that wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out as well from this weekend. It's on the website now. So if you haven't read that, that's on the website, along with our latest technically speaking post. That's on the website as well realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send me your questions, comments, emails. Always happy to help you out any way that I can. Uh, stick around this morning. Our other YouTube channel will be posting our Before the Bell update here in just a moment. So make sure you subscribe to that channel and this channel also. We, we want to keep you up to date. So it's all right here. realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.